We're going to get into God's word here. Now, we've been walking through a sermon series in the Gospel of John, the book of John. Uh, So if you have a Bible or Bible app, you can go ahead and turn there. We're going to be in John chapter 12 today, verses 12 through 26. Um, As we set this up here today, um, the word paradoxical has a lot to do with the golf club here. Um, Paradoxical. Anybody know what that, that word means, paradox it's seemingly contradictory okay when something is paradoxical it uh uh it it is seemingly contradictory as we get into today's passage and unpacking uh uh the glory of god that jesus displays we're going to find it's 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 seemingly contradictory to what we understand in our culture it's it's counterintuitive it doesn't seem right it's like golf golf doesn't seem right you know what i'm saying any of you tried to play golf i uh i try to play golf i'm going to emphasize try i am a like explosive kind of athlete and so like i for the i'm a happy gilmore kind of person you know for those of you who happy gilmore so i like power and uh, golf is one of those sports like in it's a precision sport it it if you're going to be well or, or be good at golf or good at talking, one or the other, if you're going to be good at, at golf, you, you have to do things like you got to slow down in order to go fast. Like less is more. So you can't go out and swing with all your power because your mechanics are going to get off and you're just not going to hit the ball straight. It's actually going to make your game worse. Well, that's pretty much how my game is when I play golf. Like I just don't know how to slow down. It's this counterintuitive kind of thing where less is more slow you got to slow down to go fast these things that seem opposite right we got some good golfers in the house though they understand they they know what they're doing i don't know what i'm doing when it comes to the kingdom of god though jesus presents with to us some counterintuitive kinds of methods here what we what, what what we've called the upside down kingdom the upside down kingdom what this means is that it's, it's counterintuitive, it's paradoxical to our natural ways of life. You've got to die to live. You've got to lower yourself in order to be lifted up. These things that seem backwards to the values and the ways that, that, that this world operates in. It, the kingdom of God is like golf in that way. I may be taking golf a little bit too far, all right? Let's jump in here, though, to God's word. Let's take a peek. John chapter 12, verses 12 through 26. The upside-down kingdom, the glory paradox. Here we go. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet Jesus, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it was written, Fear not, O daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him 
when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and had raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer for receiving God's word here. Holy Spirit, we, we need you to, to open our hearts here. Lord, I, I pray that you would give us a hunger. Father, that, that we wouldn't just be sitting here as part of our routine, like I should be doing this. But God, I pray for hunger. Lord, I want you. I want to know you more. Lord, I want your kingdom to come in me. Lord Jesus, I want to become like you. I want to know you more. Lord, stir in our hearts this hunger. Spirit, come upon me, your servant, and and, and this sinful and broken man, Lord. Speak through me, Lord. Speak through me, Jesus. Your truth. In your name we pray. Amen. Bring us up to speed here with our passage where we're at. It is now time of Passover for the Jews. Jesus is beginning his journey back into Jerusalem, this final journey back into this town, the city called Jerusalem. It's the capital city of Israel. And there's this massive feast called Passover. Passover was one of the the biggest events in the life of the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, Passover celebrated their freedom from Egypt. Over a thousand years prior, God had used this miraculous event where there was blood of a lamb put on doorposts in order to protect families from an angel of death. As a result, the the Israelite people were let go of Egypt and released from slavery that they'd been in for 400 years. Over a thousand years later, they're still celebrating this Passover, this reminder. God set them free. God had released them. Now, this was even more significant now in this time because the Israelites, the Jewish people, were under occupation again. They were under, if you will, slavery of a sort again. They were not a free people, even though they lived in their own land. For nearly 700 years, 
They had been a conquered people. It started with the Assyrians in 700 AD, and then it was the Babylonians. And, and even though they had been brought back to their own nation, they'd been occupied by Greeks and, and now the Romans. And they weren't their own people. They longed for freedom. They longed for independence. They were waiting for this new king to come and this liberation, this salvation. So as they come to this time of Passover, remembering we were set free once before, and a deliverer named Moses, God sent him, they were anticipating this person called a Messiah. The word means anointed one or the king. They were waiting, this new king, and, and this time was, was, was bubbling, if you will, with anticipation. False messiahs had already come. There had been just a hundred years earlier a, re, a revolution that had started but failed ultimately. There was this great anticipation. The king is coming. Could this be the time? Could Jesus be that person? Will he set us free from Roman rule? Will he rise up and lead us to power and, and to conquest and, and to military and national freedom? And so you see here, they've heard this man raise somebody from the dead. Nobody's done that. He's got supernatural divine powers. God must be with him. So they go out. They hear he's coming to Jerusalem. And, and, and to try to put ourselves in the shoes of these people... How excited they were, how, how, how emotional, how intense this is. They're running out to meet this guy that they've never seen before, many of them. And they're raising, they've got these palm branches in their hands. And they're waving, they're screaming, and they're yelling. We don't do this kind of stuff, by the way. We just don't do this kind of stuff. We don't get this kind of excited. They wondered, could this be the king? And so, so they're crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. This, what they're quoting is, is one of the, the psalms here. And, and in this psalm, is this, it's this welcoming in of the pilgrims for Passover. But it's more because they, 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 they think Jesus could be the man. He could be the king. He could be the one the palm branches that they're waving were, were these symbols of, of triumph, of victory. In, in a situation like this, where you had this kind of, of leader coming in and this triumphal procession of sorts, it, they would be normally riding on a horse, a war horse, a sign of, of, of strength and power. But what is Jesus riding on? He's riding on a donkey. The, 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 there's a stark contrast here for those who are attentive readers for the Jews at this time. They'd be picking up this, this, this contrast of the, the people excited. This has got to be the, 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 the king who's going to bring about military might and, and save us and liberate us. And here's Jesus riding on his donkey. The donkey was, was a sign of peace, not of power. huge contrast here jesus comes in in humility they're ex they're expecting him to rise to power and and jesus he's on a descent 
He's on, on, a, on a fast track downhill to lower himself. He's humbled here on a donkey. He's going to be humiliated on a cross. For Jesus, his glory, his glory is in his self-sacrifice. His glory is in his humility. He, he, he shifts everything that we know in terms of glory and power and honor He shows us the way of the true kingdom, which is opposite of the way of this world. Jesus comes in here, riding on the donkey. They want him to be king, but but they don't want him to be the king the way he's going to be king. They want saving, but they they don't want the saving that Jesus has to offer He wants to save us all from our sins, from from the rule, from our self-rule. Not not, not some some occupation by some other other government. Not some national liberation. Jesus wants to set us free from ourselves. And he came to accomplish that by serving us, by humiliating himself. It goes on here as, as the passage explains, the disciples didn't understand this till later. Because their minds, their hearts needed to be open to see through the Spirit's eyes this upside down kingdom. And I pray that the Spirit is opening your eyes today and our eyes today. Now, now, now we hear here the, that the crowds were super excited here. Again, Lazarus, this guy had been raised from the dead. This hasn't happened. I don't know about you guys, but if somebody gets raised from the dead, we'd be excited. Amen? There we go. Well, some of us are excited. Some of us are still dead. We need to be raised. So the word goes out, and, and, and last week we talked about the, 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 the Pharisees and religious leaders had tried to stop uh, uh, this movement from having, they told people uh, that, that if they hear anything about uh, Jesus being in Jerusalem, let them know because they're going to arrest him. They made plans to kill him. They were going to stop this spread of, this, of his fame and people following him. Well, it's like a wildfire now. It's, it's going out. And, and, and we see here that the, the Pharisees are frustrated. Look, we're gaining nothing in verse 19. The world's gone after him. Their frustration grows and, and their anger and their, their efforts are going to intensify. We're going to see to, to squash Jesus and to kill him. The irony that this portion of the passage shows us is that the kingdom is an unstoppable kingdom. God's kingdom is an unstoppable kingdom. And the opposition that, 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 that dark forces, satanic forces, that, that even human efforts, opposition... Efforts of opposition get translated into kingdom momentum. It's the way the, 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 the kingdom of God works. You can't stop the work of God, friends. And that's good news for us. You see, their efforts to, to, to contain and control uh, the message of Christ, to even kill him, their, 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 their thoughts that if we kill him, we'll stop it. What did it do? It was like gasoline on a fire. It spread. Opposition to God's kingdom can only be translated into momentum. This paradoxical 
nature of this upside-down kingdom. But these, these leaders were right that the world was coming, and, and which points to, we, we see now these Greeks, these other nations coming to Jesus in verse 20. There were some Greeks there, and they came up uh, to Philip. We don't understand really why they chose Philip. Maybe because he was in the northern part of, of Israel, and, and, and he had a Greek name. And maybe they thought, oh, this guy understands us. You know, uh, um, We'll go talk to him. And like he was a cultural kind of a, a, a bridge for them. Uh, but Philip goes to Andrew. They go to Jesus. And Jesus' response isn't like, hey, let's go meet these Greeks. Yeah. Jesus goes into this just profound kind of, you know, weird statement for the disciples at the moment. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Once again, Jesus has this tendency of speaking on another level than where others, uh, the disciples, are, are at. And, 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 and we are fortunate to be these omniscient readers to understand and see that there's something deeper going on in the work of Jesus the coming of the Greeks is the sign of the initiation that Jesus didn't come to just save a nation. He didn't just come to save Jewish people. He came to save all nations. All nations. One of the reasons why we intentionally celebrate uh, uh, being one church, many nations and, 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 and singing in different languages and reading scripture in different languages. And I realized I totally forgot to have Syrah come on up here and read in Spanish. Apologize, Syrah, for that. Got excited to get in God's word here. Holy cow. Next week, Syrah. Here we go. Jesus didn't come for just a group. He came for all people. And that's good news for us. Everyone is welcome. Everyone is loved. There's a place. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what other people have done to you, what what you look like, what you smell like. Jesus is your king. And he loves you. So this, this coming of the Greeks to seek out Jesus is this sign That Jesus has come to save the world. And he makes this declaration. Now the hour has come. Now in the book of John up to this point. Jesus has said my my hour hasn't come yet. My hour hasn't come yet. My hour hasn't come yet. Previous times throughout the passage. But now we've got. The page page turns here. and, And it's a significant difference. And he's saying now's the time. Now's the time. He's come to Jerusalem. It's the the. The final countdown. <laughs> Jesus is on his way to the cross. That wasn't in the, in the script, by the way. It just happened. It's the Spirit speaking right there, just so you know. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So as he knows it's his time here to go to the cross, he, he now proclaims something that is so Revolutionary. And it's still revolutionary to us today. He starts off with a parable. In Eastern teaching, they would do what's more inductive kinds of teaching. So they would use story, and then you draw the point out of the story, rather than starting with a point and then illustrating it with a story, which is how we do in, in, in Western circles. And so he starts off with a parable here. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone or it remains just a seed. 
But if it dies, it bears much fruit. This may seem fairly, fairly obvious. Now, we, we're in farm, farm country and farmland here. And, 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 and so he's talking about that as long as the, a kernel of wheat stays on the stalk, it, it's just going to be a kernel of wheat. There's, it's, it's, there's no multiplication happening, no, no benefit. Now, it could be used for food, but the, the, it, it just remains. It's, it's one singular cell. But if it falls off the stalk there, if it separates itself from the stalk there and it falls to the ground and begins this process of decay, breaking down, simultaneously life is forming as, as, as that seed germinates and then grows. And, and, and kernels of wheat, one kernel of wheat can produce up to a hundred kernels in a plant. One kernel of wheat. But it's got to fall to the ground. It's got to go through this, 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 this decay process in, in, in order to germinate and come alive and produce fruit. Jesus explains, whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. This kingdom principle that's counter to the way this world operates, is that we must die in order to live. That starts with Jesus himself. The hour has come. This parable is first and foremost about himself. He must die. You see, this kingdom isn't going to be started and, 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 and spread through power and might and conquering in traditional ways with swords and spears and chariots and siege works. No, this kingdom is going to advance through completely counterintuitive ways, and that's through self-sacrifice. One of the things that verifies the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is that when your leader dies, every other movement dies with the leader. But the movement of Jesus, when he died, we know we're celebrating. It's coming up soon. We're going to celebrate Easter. He rose from the dead. He conquered death. And the evidence of that is that his disciples went on to be boiled alive, uh, 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 burned alive, eaten by, alive by animals, all in the name of Jesus because they wouldn't renounce it. Why would anybody go through that had they not seen him raised from the dead? The movement of Jesus is the, is the largest movement around this world still today. Because he's alive, amen? Because he died. The gospel has spread. Because he died. He's changed us. He's changed this world. Now, this wasn't just for Jesus to die in our place, to take our sin and pay our penalty, to bring us back to God and, and renew us, regenerate us, to change us. You and I need to be changed on the inside. We don't just need to be washed from what we've done. We need to be changed. And Jesus does that with his death. 
He wants to live in you. And if you haven't done that today, if you, if you haven't been made alive to yet come to Jesus, let him live in you. He wants to make you alive in ways you've never known. And you can live even though this world is dying in a decay. Jesus starts it, but then it continues in us. He says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. He's talking about the cross. You see, where I am, he's saying, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to lay my life down for you. Other places, Jesus is quoting, saying, anyone who comes after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The irony of the kingdom of God is that we find life by losing ours. By giving up to Jesus. By trusting him. And this seems just on the practical level, very difficult for us, where, where there are things like we want happiness and we want to protect our kids and, and, and we, we just want a, a secure financial life or a, a, a secure life or we just want peace. And, and the more we try to hold on to these things and cling to these things of peace and happiness and, and, and provision, the more we hold on, they're, they're like oil in our hands and we can't grasp them and it's never enough and and the things that we keep trying to hold on to and get in this life end up controlling us or corrupting us talked about this last week as idols your circumstances don't need to change your circumstances don't need to stay the same either boy that may that may hit you You need to be changed. You're only going to know peace and life and joy, resilience. You're only going to know strength when you're changed, when you die, when you trust Christ, not yourself, not these things. You're going to find you can have life when you have nothing. You can have life when what you have is taken from you. You can have life even though it's dark. Because Jesus is in you. Because you've conquered death with him. And as a result, you can serve. You can love others. So he says here, anyone who serves me, the Father will honor him. When we Die to ourselves, which means first and foremost, we live for God, not ourselves. And then we seek to lift others up, not ourselves. We don't seek to promote ourselves. We don't seek just, I, I got to take care of me first. When we trust the Father, we receive from the Father to care for us, and we let go and we serve others, we find our, we'll have share in the joy of Jesus. We'll find that we have everything that we need. When we lift others up, when we lift up the Father, the Father will lift you up. That's his promise. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. This is a repeated promise that he makes to you. You claim that. We have these beautiful examples in church history of these cases. I want to share with you. 
The early church caught this principle. The paradox of the kingdom. This is a great book. Church history is amazing. It's called The Triumph of Christianity by Rodney Stark. Highly recommend this book. If you're interested in learning church history, and boy, we got a lot to learn from the past. One, so we don't repeat things, and two, we can continue to grow and build from the past. But they, they faced plagues and pandemics like we have, and, and, and struggles, and, 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 and poverty, and, and needs. And so this was the, the, the thinking of the time when it came to serving others. The, the cry of the undeserving for mercy must go unanswered. That was actually a stated cultural value in the Roman Empire. The cry of those needing mercy. Help me. Have mercy on me. The cry of those needing mercy should go unanswered. Let them be. Pity was a defect of character. Unworthy of the wise and excusable only in those who have not yet grown up. Consider that. Mercy, sympathy was not a value. But in the kingdom of God, this was countercultural. The, the followers of Jesus, this is the culture of the church in the early church. This is from Tertullian, one of the church leaders in the second century. There was no buying or selling of any sort of things of God. Though we have our treasure chests, it is not made up of our of purchase money as of religion that has its price. On the monthly day, if he likes, each person put in a small donation, but only if it was his pleasure. Only if he was able, under no compulsion, it was all voluntary. These gifts are, as it were, the, the piety deposit fund is the name of that time, like our compassion fund here today. For they were, are not taken thence to spend on feasts and drinking and bouts and eating in houses. But this money was spent to support the poor, even to bury them as they, as they died, because the poor were just left for dead in the streets. To supply orphan boys and girls who were poor and for their parents. And to take care of the older people, seniors. Seniors were seen as a burden. Let them be, let them die. Don't take care of them. And take care of the older folk confined to their houses and such. To help those who were shipwrecked. Those who were banished. Those who were shut up in prisons. This was the faithfulness of God's church. Such a different contrast to the culture at that time. In another case here, when disease came. At the first onset of disease, the pagans, or the rest of the culture here, pushed the sufferers away and fled from their dearest ones, their relatives, throwing them into the roads before they were dead and treated unburied corpses as dirt, hoping thereby to avert the spread and contagion of the fatal disease. But do what they might, they found it difficult to escape. But of the Christians, most of our brothers showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy. For they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many in nursing and curing others as a result transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. 
The best of our brothers lost their lives in this manner. A number of elders and deacons and and lay people winning high commendation so that in death, in this form, the result of great holiness and strong faith would be the result of their martyrdom. They didn't seek to preserve themselves. They didn't seek to hold on to their life. They sought to serve others, whether it be with their possessions, whether it be with their very lives and their means. Even today, we see this happening across the world. In Syria, in the recent uh, 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 war in Syria, Christians chose to stay, much like Christians in Ukraine now, have chosen to stay in these war-torn areas in order to love and share the gospel and provide hope and care for the needs. But in Syria... There was testimonies of multiple Christians and churches staying behind in Syria as it was just being razed to the ground. One of the gentlemen, his name was Abed, a Syrian Christian, believed his purpose was for him to stay in his hometown to share the love of Christ with those who were in need. Their resources were were minimal, and, and he says that as the crisis continues, the situation would get worse and worse. As Abed himself would try to help taking care of the physical needs, he talks about the daily I try to make myself strong and steal myself when helping others. But when I was alone, I would cry like a baby because it's so difficult. But my heart is strong. The Lord is righteous. And I know he has a way that we must walk in. His, his, his purpose, he saw I was called to stay and sacrifice my comfort, my life, in order to bless and serve the Syrian people who were displaced, who didn't have homes, who were suffering, who had mental illness, PTSD, so many needs. He could have gone and left as a refugee, but he sacrificed This begins first and foremost when we receive the work of Jesus Christ. We need to be changed. But as believers, there should be a change in our life. That we follow the way of Christ. That we die to live. The upside down kingdom becomes our way of living. We lift others up. We lift up Christ. Knowing that he will lift us up. We receive from him. The question is, is the kingdom in you and me? Are you and I building our kingdom? Or are we part of building this upside down kingdom? It starts in us. As we approach the cross here in the coming weeks, will we die? Will we let this image be seared into our hearts and our minds? Will we continue daily, friends? It's not just a one-time thing. It's daily. Lord, I surrender my plans to you. Lord, I surrender my pathway to you. Lord, I surrender my resources to you. Jesus, your, this is your day, not my day. I'm your servant. Be honored through me. Be lifted up in me. Let's build the kingdom, friends. And as we find with Jesus, when we die with him, we will live. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on forward. Holy Spirit, we ask for your work. Holy Spirit, help us, lead us 
in the pathway of Jesus to the cross. Open our hearts and our eyes, Lord, to these kingdom values, Lord, to embrace this way of the cross, Lord God, as a way of life. Lord Jesus, the things that we're clinging to, that we're holding on to, that we believe that we need these things, Lord God, in order to have peace. We need these things in order to have security. We need these things in order to have joy. We need our comfort. Lord, release us from these things. We need our control. Lord, we release that and surrender it to you, Jesus. And today we come, Jesus, we want to die with you. Lord, I pray, Spirit, speak and, 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 and expose these areas, these things that we have our hands clenching around, Lord, that we need to open to you, that, Lord, that we need to take to the cross, Lord. Lord, we need to die, Lord, let us be liberated today. Unite ourselves with you on the cross and be resurrected with you, God. In your name we pray. Amen.